I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast, and I'm taking this time to ask you during the month of December to financially support the Cato Daily Podcast and the broad mission of the Cato Institute to advance individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support our efforts. This is the only time of the year when I make this request, so I'm adding something. If you support Cato to the tune of $1,000 or more, I'll gladly give you a shout-out on the podcast, or you can designate another individual to receive the benefits of that donation. Just visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor to get started, and thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. When opponents of school choice talk about pending policies, the language is not just heated, it's apocalyptic. And it doesn't really matter how big the choice program in question might be. Jason Bedrick directs policy at Ed Choice. His big takeaway is that if people defending the status quo are going to go nuclear no matter what, the clear lesson for lawmakers pondering choice legislation is to go big. Whenever there is a school choice program that is being offered, there is a, well, I hate to say it, but it's really a predictable response from uh, the groups that are opposed the differences among uh, the proposals doesn't really seem to have much of an impact on uh, how the traditional institutions respond to uh, those school choice program. It could be a small program, it could be a large program. The responses are largely the same. So to the extent that uh, these people who are defenders of, for lack of a better term, big ed, uh, the education establishment, what do those what do those claims look like? Well, it's the same thing. It's predictable because we've been hearing the same thing for the last thirty years, which is uh, this is going to destroy public education. Uh, and so, what my colleague uh, Ed Ternowski and I did is uh, we went back and gathered a whole bunch of quotes uh, from folks making these predictions in the five states that have the oldest and largest school choice programs. So that'd be Arizona, Florida, Indiana, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And what you find is a whole bunch of people back in those days saying things like, uh, well, this, is, this comes from uh, Florida, uh, then state rep Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, who listeners may know. She said, this is the day that will go down in the annals of Florida history as the day we abandoned the public schools and the day that we abandon, more importantly, our children. Uh, and she said that in Florida on March 25th, 1999. Uh, so fast forward more than two decades, uh, and what do we find? Well, we find that in all five of these states with the longstanding robust school choice programs, uh, they have improved on the NAEP. That's the National Assessment for Educational Progress. Uh, in most cases, they've actually improved at a faster rate than the national average. Uh, so far from the system collapsing, as as and, and you can look in the report, we've got you know a dozen people making these these sorts of predictions uh, in different states. Uh, all the evidence that we have shows uh, that school choice actually leads to positive outcomes. As, as a matter of fact, out of twenty eight studies, academic studies on the effects of school choice programs on the performance of traditional district schools, uh, all but three of them find a statistically significant positive effect. I guess what's the point? 
you pull this information out of these statements over uh, the last few decades about school choice programs or school choice expansions and uh, you know the responses from the education establishment, what's the point of, of gathering that and detailing it? The point is that policymakers shouldn't listen to the chicken littles, right? They're going to squawk that the sky is falling no matter what. And without regard to the mountain of evidence we have, that not only does the sky not fall, but it's a clear and sunny day. Uh, and uh, that uh, these programs not only do not harm the, the students who are in the traditional system, but actually uh, leads to modest improvement of that system. And uh, actually one of the more recent studies out of Florida shows that the the, stu- the improvement increases over time, and the improvement increases when they're exposed to more competition, which, I mean, this is what we see in, you know, every other area of uh, human interaction, that when you have uh, a variety of different options uh, that people can choose from, that it leads to greater quality uh, over time. Uh, the other thing is, as you alluded to at the beginning, uh, in the second part of the report, what we do is we look at uh, five states that passed uh, new programs this past year. And what, what uh, states are those? So uh, West Virginia and New Hampshire had the, the largest programs. Uh, West Virginia has uh, what's called the Hope Scholarship. It's a K-12 education savings account that every single child in the state, uh, if they are switching out of a traditional district school or entering kindergarten, are eligible. So that's 93% of kids in the state are eligible. Uh, it's now the largest program in the country. New Hampshire is uh, just about a third of students who are eligible. And in both those states, they are eligible and funded. So if you uh, apply and you're eligible, you get an ESA. Then we look at three other states. That would be Arkansas, Kentucky, and Missouri. Uh, Each of these states uh, have new programs, either a tax credit scholarship or a tax credit funded education savings account. Uh, but all of them, only about 1% of students in the state uh, are both eligible and funded. As a matter of fact, in Arkansas, it's fewer than 0.1%. And so what we were doing in this case is we were seeing if the level of uh, rhetorical intensity by the opponents of school choice varied based on the size and scope of the proposal. Uh, and lo and behold, it does not. Uh, the, uh, we did a, a, a scale of one to 10, but actually went up to 11, uh, in the spirit of, um, in the spirit of spinal tap, we, we, you know, we, we, we saw that the opponents often went all the way up to 11. Uh, so, uh, 10 is catastrophic. Uh, 11 is apocalyptic. Uh, these are the folks who are saying, you know, things like, uh, you know, this is the end of public education. Uh, uh, even, uh, governor Bashir in Kentucky, again, fewer than 1% of kids eligible, uh, and funded. And he says, this is the beginning of end of the end of public education. Uh, there was somebody in Kentucky who said, you know, once again, public education has its head in the guillotine getting ready to have its head chopped off. Uh, and so there is, uh, it was about an average of an eight all across these States. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Arkansas was was the highest uh, rhetorical intensity, even though it had the smallest of the programs. So the lesson for policymakers, uh, because I know there are policymakers in, in many of these states who uh, read the papers, who 
follow important public ed leaders on Twitter. And uh, so to the extent that they're, they're looking at those comments and, and understanding that the size of the program doesn't necessarily impact the level of the vitriol, what's the clear lesson for them? Go big or go home. I mean, just no matter what you're going to do, if you're going to put forward uh, a program for every child in the state, or you're going to put forward something that's, you know, for redheaded, left-handed kids from low-income homes, and, you know, you can serve 17 kids in the state, no matter what happens, the other side is going to say, this is going to be the end of public education. Uh, So if, uh, don't expect that if you moderate the ambitiousness of uh, the, the, the school choice policy that you're putting forward, the other side is going to uh, correspondingly moderate their rhetoric. They are not. They're going to come at you with everything they've got. Uh, you may as well be going for gold, which is making sure that every single child has access to the learning environment that works best for him or her. Jason Bedrick is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and director of policy at EdChoice. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.